Hello and welcome to the Queen Trail podcast. Queen Trail, a woman who emphasizes a life of passion expressed through personal style, leisurely pastimes, charm, and a cultivation of life's pleasures. I am Syl Annan, and I invite you to join me in exploring and savoring life's riches and the beauty that surrounds us. In the company of friends, we can laugh, discover, appreciate, and support each other. So I hope that you will join me where I will talk about everything that makes up the rich and diverse fabric of a delightful life. Let's cultivate vibrant conversation together. Welcome. Hey, everybody. I hope the world's been treating you really well since the last time that we got together. I hope I sound better. I still have some lingering aspects of this stupid cold. Like every time I take a deep breath, I start having a coughing fit. I think it's going to linger for a while, but I am totally feeling better and I am working around it. Life goes on, right? So I'm going to try to keep the intro here short. Today is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and I thought it would be great to put out an episode that discusses in deeper detail than just simply, yay, it's a holiday, it's a day off from work. Some of the changes that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was trying to make in the world, those positive changes, and specifically, I love this quote of his, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. And I'm really lucky that my friend Micah Costa, who is a lifelong friend, agreed to join me in a conversation about love and hate and Dr. Martin Luther King and music and going down memory lane. Mike pushes himself to be the best at everything he does. He's a reader, a researcher, an analyst and problem solver. He's the perpetual student and seeker of knowledge, and he's always striving to connect and understand others with a kindness forward approach that I so appreciate. He's a nature lover. He's a vegetarian and a borderline health nut. As a film enthusiast, he's watched everything from blockbusters to cult classics to obscure selections with a focus on gaining a deeper understanding of the psychology of stories, scenes, techniques, shots, as well as the directors themselves and actors. As an audiophile and musician, you can find him often writing atmospheric orchestrations for full bands. And like it blows me away because I don't have a musical bone. I mean, I can whistle a little bit um, and clap my hands. <laughs> That's about it. But you can find him writing these orchestrations for full bands, strumming a guitar, tickling the keyboard, moving tracks around all the time and just fiddling with all of his audio stuff. I mean, it's it's amazing to watch. And many times listening with a learner's ear to his huge collection of eclectic compositions, ambient sounds, experimental world music, and of course, the ever-present rock and roll. Long live rock and roll. Amen. 
And, you know, from his intellectual taste in music, readings, hobbies, keen observations, and especially his generous and even tempered spirit, there is a definite guru quality to Mike. He has an uncanny quality of making you feel comfortable while making you think and definitely laugh. So he's among the most inspiring, hilarious, and dearest of my friends. I'm so glad that he's joining me in this In the Company of Friends Talks. So you'll hear in this episode us going down memory lane as well as talking about music and our excellent, excellent music taste that we had in our youth, which continues to remain with us in addition to the expansion of other music that we have added to our compendium of auditory experiences. And you're going to also hear us talk about this hike to some Culbertson Canyon, Culbertson home, something like that. Don't get old. Your ability to remember names totally begins to suck. It was actually the Cobb Estate, and it's listed as one of the most haunted places in Los Angeles. And I said something about hoping to catch a spectral image in the background of some photo because we didn't see any ghosts. I actually have one, so I'm going to include that on the social media pages. Stay tuned all the way through the end to get the information on how to get to those pages. But in the meantime, back to Martin Luther King Jr. We're going to discuss this particular quote, especially I thought, you know, we should bring it up in light of the last couple of years. I think a lot of people have reached a wall. We are weary of hating each other because it is a burden. And You know, even before I heard this quote, I have always felt for me personally, that it is really, really hard for me to hold on to hate. And so I just thought, you know, when I saw this quote coming up again, because, you know, as we get closer to this well-deserved and very important holiday in honor of a man who was seeking to make the world a more loving place, to make it a more accepting place, to make it much more egalitarian, to find some balance and joy, you know, to, to have the constancy of contentment and peace and love. So when I saw this quote, I thought, This is something that I would like to talk about. It is only one of the many facets of what this great man was able to accomplish in his lifetime, the changes that he was able to make that continue to reverberate to the present and will continue beyond. So I'm going to leave it here. Just move on over here to the conversation that Mike and I had. I hope that you will stay with us. It is a long conversation. As I said, there are a couple of other subjects in here, but it certainly is a topic that deserves a little bit of extra time. So I hope that you will stay with me and enjoy. Hi, everybody. I'm here with my friend, Mike Acosta, who is my creative consultant on my show. 
and uh, he helped he helped set everything up. He's really an amazing techie guy. I have known him since. I always ask you this: Did we meet in junior high school? Yeah, mainly junior high. I think it was like seventh grade. I don't remember. I'm trying to remember. That's a long time ago. Because we didn't go to the same elementary school. No, but I think maybe I knew you from back then too. Because trying to remember who I, I did hang out with some people at that school too. Mm-hmm. So I moved to Harbor City. Um during fifth grade I went to President Avenue School but I was only there for a short time so that's when I met Louise that we're mutual friends with and then I moved to Lomita and went to Lomita so might have been during that Harbor City because I've always I Louise and I hung out with him and his brother since the beginning of time so it must have been during that time then Mm -hmm. did you guys live on the same street uh, they lived a couple blocks from me, but okay. uh, yeah, I'm, they're like family to me. So yeah, um, so yeah, it must have been right about then because I do, and then I had friends in Lamita's school system also. But I think yeah, maybe through Luis, and then I know we had Hector down in that general yeah. area too. Um, but yeah, I mean, all the, the names, mind, all the names you're going to throw out. The mind down. stretches very, very right. limited now. But um, taking us down memory lane. So, so yeah, middle school at Fleming, or and well, then yeah, then we had high school then. then. Yeah, then we had junior high and then high school. And then high school. High school, I disappeared on. probably. Well, even junior high, I was kind of disappeared because I was never. I mean, I only showed up for school and then. I'd be basically a, a punk show, I guess, every night. So, mm-hmm. um, well, we were good little kids then, right? It wasn't until we got into high school that everything became wide open. And uh, um, yeah, well, I think growing up, I didn't have any like my parents. They're pretty, I guess, liberal with me and my brother. Uh, they didn't really put restrictions on us I mean I mean they didn't want me to go to punk shows at such a young age I mean that must have been in like sixth grade um, oh my god what was your first punk show uh god that's a anti at the the barn with I think the circle the jerks wow and um god it's such a long time ago I think that you know I know anti was it because they're a local and then you Gary who since passed away uh, he was a guitar player. He lived in Lamita for a while, lived in Harbor City, and I think he ended up in Torrance, if I'm not mistaken. It's been it's been so long, but... Uh, and I knew another guy that he knew. Um, so he was my first show, even though I didn't know him back then when I saw them. But there are local bands. Same with everybody else. I mean, Black Flag, uh, Circle Jerks, which is an offshoot of Black Flag. The, mm-hmm. the singer went from Black Flag to, to the Circle Jerks. So all these bands were all local to me, and um, you know most people dream of like meeting Kiss. I had the luxury of growing up with people I really liked as musicians and stuff. So, mm-hmm. well, you know, when you say Black Flag, I just always remember I I lived right behind a place that was I guess it's right on the border of Torrance because it was on on Crenshaw Boulevard it was called Mi Casita oh yeah I remember that couple up yeah it was really funny because during most of the week it was um like rancheras and mariachis and that sort of music and it was very loud 
So you could always hear it at my house. And then on the weekends, it would be these punk shows, like super, super loud punk shows and Black Flag played there. Yeah, I remember that show. I remember my mom was not very happy about it because it was loud. It was, you know, they might as well have been next door. And I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. And the cops came down and dispersed everybody. You could just hear all of this noise and see the sirens and everything. And eventually they did shut down. I think there's a McDonald's there now, maybe. Yeah, it's over by uh, where the uh, bowling rink was at the Rolling Hills Bowling Rink. I think that's what it was called. It was the Palace Verde Palace Bowl, Verde's Palace Verde's which Bowl. is Aldi's now. So yeah, everything's gone. There used to be, we would walk down the street and there was a hole in the fence and it didn't matter how many times it got mended. We would just walk down the street. It would be open again, and we'd uh, crawl through it and end up over at the bowling alley to play pinball machines, yeah. go bowling. You know, they had it was it was a fun place to hang out at. So then there was a while right in between where we weren't really. I mean, we weren't really hanging out with each other. Everybody graduates from school. They go off and do their own thing, and. We reunited, maybe. I can't remember. It's, Gosh, a, it was, it was, it's a long time ago, but you know the span of time. I mean, there was MySpace and then Facebook. I think during Facebook we started connecting even more because mm-hmm. I think we started posting similar stuff. Because you go on hikes or excursions through LA, and I've always been going through LA for not only for work, but I always look for those old clubs and interesting places and I think I had sent you a couple places like hey you should check this out we were kind of exchanging things back and forth about different places that we've checked out and then that's kind of where that whole thing started started up yeah day of the dead festival and all that kind of stuff Greystone uh, Mansion. Yeah, yeah. So that's and been... uh, the spooky, the spooky trails. Yes, yes. So we did <laughs> the that haunted one. trails of LA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We did that one, and well, you know that one in Altadena. Um, Colbert is it Colbertson Colbert, House? Yeah, something Colbert like that. House, yeah. something so like nothing's that. there anymore, but yeah. Yeah, it leads up to um the old lowe's railroad tracks yeah and i'm I'm mad now because i was reading all about it because i just kind of read the surface about it and then i actually was watching a movie i think i referred it to you like oh man i totally mad at myself for not going that extra whatever it was and yeah but that um, was right very shortly after your surgery on your knee yeah yeah. so yeah so we got up pretty pretty far i actually did do that trail again in January, December, sometime around then, and it it hailed on us. There were snow flurries up at the top. It was freezing cold. Mm-hmm. And something about when the weather is really, really cold like that, the views and just the way everything looks is so beautiful. It's just incredibly gorgeous and crisp. So that was a really cool day. Um, so I did go up there and it's absolutely worth going through there. To yeah, see we will definitely those. have to hit that again. And now, you know, now that a, my leg is a little bit better than it was back then. And then, um, and then I'm ready for it. I think a little bit better. Yeah. I, I didn't have water. I didn't have much with me. I, I didn't expect it to be so high, but then I read oh, and about it. It was a hot day when we it went. It was extremely hot. That I day. can't believe it was a hundred. Uh, I think it hit a hundred degrees yeah. and it was a lot of dust in here cause it was a really busy trail 
It was, and so we didn't run into any ghosts or anything. I was hoping that we'd look back at a picture and see a spectral <laughs> image in the background. Maybe at but, night. <laughs> but it was a little bit scary because there was that crazy guy that was on the train, yes, remember? Yeah, and he had yeah, a knife, he... and he was yelling at himself, and... Mm. Um, it was a little intimidating. Yeah, that guy was scary. <laughs> I don't know where he popped out of, but... Uh, That's as close to haunted as we got. Yeah, his mind was definitely haunted. And yeah, we think we ran into him, what, like three or four times? And Yeah. He was he was going back and forth across <laughs> that mountain looking for something. So maybe he was mad that there wasn't a ghost there. I don't know. He was trying to scare them out. <laughs> <laughs> he scared us. <laughs> definitely scared us. So, yeah, so it's uh, probably been at least 10 to 15 years that we started reconnecting yeah, with yeah. each other. And yeah, I just had something pop up on my post. It was like a 12 or 13 years ago, and it was the original thing I had sent you. Or one, of the, one of the original ones I had sent you about, oh, you should check this out. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so weird. I, I, can, I was like, God, has that been that long? Yeah. And it's weird how time... If you don't have the anchor, you know, I always say, if you don't have that anchor, you can't really, you can't tell the span of time and where, you know, things are. You know, people say, we can rely on your memories, but you can't because memory needs a trigger. You know, like, you know, as an example, somebody's talking like about something like camping, then camping hits your mind like, oh, I remember going camping. It's not like something that just pops in your head. Right. It needs something to go. So... Um, I was talking to a friend of mine about that about a week ago because um, I told her, like, I can't believe your sister is married with three kids. You know, the last time I saw her, she was a little kid jumping on top of me and wanting to play <laughs> with her dolls. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, but in that span of time, it's been 32 years because <laughs> I knew her when I was young. And that kind of almost sets you up like, man time really can flow by if you're not careful <laughs> if you're not paying attention to it yeah you know and and that's true because people remain in your mind in your memory as they were the last time that you saw them yeah you know so if it's been 32 years you are still even though you know that that progression has occurred in some sense um, in your mind you're going to remember this young child so yeah it is kind of shocking when yeah, it took me a while to remember she's a t totally different person. And then there was another person there, also their cousin, who had same amount of time I haven't seen. And the only thing that triggered my memory of him was he was always spouting out these things like, did you know plastic bags last 350 years when you throw them in dirt or something like some? But Fun he was, fact. He was always throwing these weird <laughs> facts out. And I'm like, okay. And it's always stuck in my head every time that guy talked. But, you know, he was there. And I go, God, do I know this dude? I don't know if I know him, you know. And then you're like, oh, that's so-and-so. And it came back to me in the flood, you know, like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of where, then I started piecing things together, you know, where, who that was, who that was. And it was just, uh, <laughs> to relive that, it's kind of a unusual, it's like a parallel universe almost. So but, putting you um, back in that time period. Yeah. I mean, we were just talking about you going into punk rock and I think we kind of split a little bit because I really got into metal mm -hmm. and I was looking through Facebook the other day and this group popped up 
that's uh, I think it's called I Survived Gazaris mm, yeah. on the Sunset Strip. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, let me check that out because I used to hang out at, you know, Gazaris and the Whiskey and all of those different places that were over there. And so many memories. In fact, they have playbills from bands that we used to go and watch all the time. And, you know, you saw Black Flag and the Circle Jerks and all of that. I remember seeing Sam Kinison driving down Sunset Boulevard in a old, old, like 1950s ambulance with uh, Motley Crue in the back. And it was for their, God, what was that tour? Um, it was it was the Dr. Feelgood tour. But I was standing right there on the corner, right across the street from the Whiskey, when, you know, they pulled up and out comes Vince Neil and out comes Tommy Lee playing there. We saw Axl Rose playing there. We saw Razzmatazz. Um, just a lot of bands down at the Sunset Strip. So there were a lot of memories. I didn't, I might join the group. I'm kind of thinking about it, but also it's just kind of, you know, like I've moved so far away from that time period that, and my, my uh, musical interests have really expanded, but not only that, it's, you know, there's a, a lifestyle that's associated with it. Yeah. That was great for me at the time. I don't know that um, it's something that I want to go back to specifically, mm. although I definitely enjoy a good metal song every now and then. I, you know, Iron Maiden and, and Judas Priest and um, Black Sabbath, all of those bands, like, you know, they that's one of those songs comes on and I'm listening to it, you know, and it puts me back in a good place. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with, I mean, I was more into punk rock but i mean i do remember i i played music also and then i hung out with people that were also into music and musicians and so i had my brother who was probably my greatest influence when it comes to, i mean he knows everything about every kind of rock and i grew up with the beatles and the rolling stones and all that so i didn't really I didn't believe in camps per se, even though I love punk rock. I, I loved, um, you know, like the Beatles and all that old rock. Um, even beyond that, my favorite, you know, being Buddy Holly mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, metal came in like Van Halen. I remember distinctly they called it heavy metal. <laughs> and I was like, what are they doing? Are they playing with a, you know, wrench or something? And, <laughs> And that, that's know, what it I, sounded like. It was like, you know, music like that, you know. I never really considered Van Halen heavy metal. But, you know, then now I'm just thinking of Atomic Punk. And mm. that's a badass song. That definitely would be right there in that metal Yeah, genre, I think I, I remember think. there was a People article about it. It was like a one-pager. And I, I remember they had put it in there. They put heavy metal. And I remember listening to the album... And it did sound like, you know, he was playing with, you know, some of those sounds he was generating. You know, it's almost like he had, Hendrix had his, he made the guitar sound like something that was not (laughs) humanly possible. And then Mm -hmm. you had Van Halen, who was kind of the extension of that. And then, um, And they're known for their sounds. You know, I just, I was thinking of Eddie Hazel, who was, Gosh, what was the name of the band he was with? But Eddie Hazel does some amazing things with his guitar, making it sound like water waves, you know. And 
um, he's not around anymore, but his music's pretty amazing. Yeah, so that that and obviously my brother, he he brought a lot more uh, of that older rock, and then um, so he was a, his own musical explorer. So we almost went in divergent paths, and then somewhere a little later on, we kind of met in the middle because I had taken electronic music in junior college and uh, started listening to Stockhausen and all these guys that were making, you know, stuff with found objects. And then... Like experimental sound. Yeah, so they're more interested in, like, everyday objects and everyday things and he he was listening to some of it he's like oh that's kind of interesting and then i remember him playing like one of the pink floyd records and i kind of just mm-hmm. i had heard pink floyd but i never really listened to them and i noticed that they were kind of influenced by these guys i was listening to so then i started listening to them <laughs> and realizing like okay so they've taken that music and filtered it through their system and created this musical way of listening to it whereas like the stuff I was listening to was not like musical in the traditional sense but then I started listening to that and noticing that it was in rap music and different types of genres how this music that was like obscure and you know most people were like oh this is junk you know this is you know God, this is really awful stuff. And then when I play them something that they use this kind of same technique, they're kind of like, well, that's unusual. Like, I would have never thought of that. And I'm kind of thinking of, you know, like Tom Waits uses a lot of that experimental sound, the talking heads. Yeah. Definitely, uh, David. Um, David Byrne. David Byrne. Yeah, and he, he had that. definitely. Yeah, and he, he uses... Like he worked with Brian Eno, who was definitely an offshoot of Stockhausen and all these other guys. And um, he worked with David Byrne. And David Byrne, they both collaborated on, on an album together, My Life and My Life of Ghosts or something like that. It's been a while since so I've heard it. But, and they're using both techniques. One's using found objects to make music. One's recording with found objects mm-hmm. and then they're overlaying it with traditional music to create something entirely new. But And it just keeps expanding from there, right? Because I'm kind of just all these bands are popping into my head like Jane's Addiction. Yeah. They have so many of their songs sound like they're just on the brink of falling apart because it's kind of like this organized chaos that makes them so listenable and so amazing. And um, then the other band that I was thinking of that just went out of my head because I'm talking about Jane's Addiction. Um, But, oh, um, I think I was thinking of um, the White Stripes, you know, Jack White. Yeah, Jack White. Uses a lot of experimental sound, too. So I just always find that really interesting um, to listen to. It's 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 more cerebral music. It's not anything that you could just sit back and kind of relax and listen to. But I think when you mentioned Pink Floyd, they so normalized that sound that a few years back, the kids and I had an opportunity to go see David Gilmore at the Hollywood Bowl. 
And at the end, he played a few Pink Floyd songs and they, they become musicals. So he was playing Comfortably Numb and, you know, the lighters went on or it's not lighters anymore. Everybody turns on the, <laughs> no, their flashlight on their phone, you know, <laughs> so the phones are flashlighting, which is so much better. I don't know how many times I burned my thumb on a lighter, you know, during a ballad at a concert. So that was kind of nice. But the whole audience is singing this very morose, depressing song, like, you know, like they're such great buddies and, (laughs) and having the best time of their lives. And, you know, they are because it's an old song and it's just become so ingrained in the culture and so, so beloved. So it's um, it's kind of neat when stuff like that happens, although it was a little incongruous, a little um, surreal for me to to be there in that um, context with that particular song, you know, under, having seen The Wall. Yeah, I've seen The Wall. I've, I've seen pretty much mm-hmm. most of the incarnations of Roger Waters on his own and David Gilmore and, and Pink Floyd under David Gilmore. And then obviously that song means so much to a lot of people because, I I mean, you get to a point where you are numb, you know, comfortably mm-hmm. numb to a lot of things, you know, in life. <laughs> and I think most people can relate to that. I mean, yeah, it is kind of depressing to think about it, but I think, and, and I, but it, it's a truth. So truth, as depressing as it might be, it 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 shines a light down somewhere to enlighten you about a certain aspect of yourself there's a relatability to it there's yeah you understand what's really dark yeah yeah what's really dark is if you don't recognize it and you let Mm -hmm. it go and they let it fester out there and then becomes oppressive right yeah right and while speaking of that darkness and that numbness that occurs you know these last couple of years that we've lived through where um, you were talking about, I can't remember if it's before the <clears throat> before the recording got cut off um, or during this one because we've been talking so much, but you mentioned that when things are allowed to stay in the background, they will eventually come out and make themselves known, which I think has been a historical thing for, you know, the last several hundred years, really, with um, a lot of oppression of particular groups, um, specifically African-Americans, people of color, and women. Um, And, you know, there's additional groups that are being added to that um, that weren't recognized in the past. I mean, definitely, whether they're they're binary or non-binary, there's been this constant oppression even though it comes you know it it rises up and becomes prominent and people try to work on it then it sinks back down and kind of just becomes part of this background miasma this thing that just remains there that's coming in and you know framing the edges of society of conversation of culture but not necessarily going out and striking it down. And then it rises up like it did in the last couple of years. And so um, one of the things that I think we wanted to talk about is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day is coming up. And he 
talked about that hate was too big of a burden to bear, or it remains, and I agree with that, too great of a burden to bear, so he was choosing love. And I thought that maybe in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we could get into one of our deep conversations like we tend to do about um, love, uh, which, of course, it's got its romantic sides Sure. But it also, there's so many different connotations of love. You can, you know, love your friend. I, I love my cat so much that sometimes I can't stand it. I'm like, what am I going to do when you're not around? You know, I love my tortoise. I love my parents. I love my sister. I love my friends. You know, so there's so many different connotations of love. And I think that a lot of times we're so busy loving the immediate that we forget that we need to expand that love into the rest of the world. Yeah, that's uh, and that's where the trick and the uh, I would say the hard part of love is, you know, how do you transfer that out without that? Let's say time marker. You don't have that time marker. Now you need a marker for love. Like where does that marker start and where does it end? Where does forgiveness come in? Because, I mean, there's a lot to unpack. Like like you said, you love your turtle. You love your kid. You love your dog. Now, some people are like, well, which one do you love more? Well, obviously, you're going to love your kid more. And, but it doesn't... Depending I mean, to, on how, how neat their room is at the moment. Correct. Right? Yeah, and there's sometimes. a great... I guess there is a certain gradation. <laughs> like, people are always like, oh, well, who do you love more? This or that? And I'm... I don't like to define that because at that, that, certain points, I mean, I, I know it exists in there, but I don't want to put a limit on that because if anything, I want to make it grow. If I put a limit on it, it means it stops it from growing. It stagnates it. And, you know, with you know Martin Luther King, you know, he'd rather choose love than darkness. And obviously that's a great ideal. I mean, to be faced with that amount of hatred um but he also understood that he had to embrace his enemies to make it well known you know he had to bank on the greater good of people so he would go and take a you know a bat to the head you know and a lot of these guys did you know marcus carvey and all these guys they took a great amount of you know abuse but they never gave up and and same with women um you know we forget that you know the struggles are you know throughout time the worst part is when we don't recognize them and they're they become the background um and i always say that you know they're the the hard part is the best part because then you can try to do something with it rather than letting it sit and I, you know i don't want to get this political but let's say let's take example like the last couple of years people were really angry at trump and uh, now they're angry at biden but that anger's there and it's it's a pole that sits in front of you then it doesn't let you go past it <laughs> if anything those are the times where you expand out your arms and you try to you know, may, even if you disagree, you try to at least listen and give them voice so they don't feel left out. I mean, everybody feels left out. Everybody needs to be loved. 
and you just need to understand that somebody sometimes just needs to talk you know because sometimes we'll see homeless people and i see them all the time and our first instinct yeah, and mine, in la right yeah my instinct is like i'm i'm with them every day and as a safety mechanism i have to be like very confrontational i don't like to be that way but to be safe in some of these areas that i go to i have to put up that barrier so I keep myself safe and I can come home mm-hmm. at night. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I don't want it to be that way. I mean, obviously, we should all look at each other and, I, you know, well, loving. But they need to be heard, too. They, right. They, and know. I think that there's something in a message that's flowing across what you're saying right now, which is that one of the barriers to love is to stop seeking to understand the other person. And... I've noticed that when something is really bothering me, when somebody is really bothering me, when they've become that proverbial thorn in my side, and I just wish that they weren't around. And, you know, we all run into those types of people. And, and, you know, I think I'm one of the most accepting people out there. I, because I do seek to understand where this friction is coming from in the other person and a lot of times finding the understanding even if I don't agree with it just being able to see the world through that person's perspective for a moment reminding myself that my perspective is solely my perspective that there are billions and billions of other perspectives out there that might align with mine in some way but each person's perspective is slightly shifted from that alignment, right? And and so you get this really wide scope. And that's when somebody's perspective is so far down that scope away from yours that you start feeling that friction. And if you can understand it, they can take the edge off so much that you can tolerate that person. You might not be best friends, but you come to a comfortable, hopefully a comfortable, a mutual comfortable understanding of each other. I think that that is one of the things that uh, we're not taught enough. I think it's one of the things that we need to really work at on ourselves is to understand that the world is seeing things differently and that each, not just that, but that each one of those people not only sees the world differently, but needs attention from the world in ways that vastly vary from your attention, you know, the way that you need attention. So I think that's part of the struggle, you know, is that we're constantly struggling to understand each other, constantly struggling to figure out, am I doing things right? Am I saying the right thing? Is this person like low key, throwing shade at me, you know, when you start those second judgments and or, you know, just the the differences, we see differences. And Sophie and I were talking about this the other day, because I'm going off the subject like I normally do, because I just ramble all over the place. But Sophie and I were um, talking about biases and how they are ingrained in us you know they're they're a survival mechanism in us and so we are trained or you know just just uh built to dislike others 
and not necessarily to dislike because I think we're trained to distrust because we're part of that animal kingdom, right? I mean, animals generally distrust. Even, you know, my cats are either running Or we just to... like to be in our own yard. This right. is our yard and I don't want you to either step into it or me to step out of it. So, so we're trained to be distrustful and comfortable. Yeah. And so when our space of comfort, when that sense of comfort is being challenged dislike starts to grow when that sense of trust is being challenged dislike starts to grow and then from dislike you start getting prejudices you start getting bigotry you start getting all of these horrible things that we see and i think that we just need to um really be vigilant of our our own growth you know like we need to continue to progress forward and accept differences and learn about them without feeling affronted by them, without feeling like we have to deride those differences because they don't match up to our own. And that's kind of a hard thing to do, right? I mean, it's just... It is. And the, the hard part is, is you have to find out and... You have to find out what they believe, you know, and what is it based on? Is there any kind of backing or whatever that, let's say, you're they're against your way of thinking and you're against their way of thinking? The only way you can shore up that that uh, you know that chasm is to figure out what reading or or looking at or whatever that make them feel that way. Uh, you know, and most people's first reaction is like calling them idiot, stupid, you know, these hurtful things instead of saying, well, can you explain your position? And, you know, because we have our own biases, they have their own biases mm-hmm. and, and we're taught not to compromise. Uh, and in, in negotiation, compromise is a good thing even though you want to win. So you got those two diametrically opposed things going against each other. Plus you got to find the middle ground and like me I'll go and ask people that are you know they they'll post something that's kind of disturbing to me and like you said I have my own biases but I go okay well I want to understand and to understand you know I have to find out why they believe that and I'll ask them you know and like you said you have to watch what you say put a cap on it my belief is no (laughs) let's get rid of those caps but let's be respectful too. So you have that rule where you're open, but you're respectful. You know, don't be afraid to say something. Like my friend was telling me one time, like he's afraid to say something about Hispanic this or that. It's like, well, just say it, but be respectful. But and then he was able to talk to me about certain things and about race and stuff. It's like, well, that wasn't so hard. <laughs> uh, and also, you you'll you know you start to you, figure that out about that other person it, what's going on it's um yeah but you know it is such a gift to have a friend like you who actually is willing to listen to somebody's thoughts in an open-minded way and welcome that thought and welcome conversation and then to you know because you kind of have to have two like-minded people you do yeah well well, you have to have you have to have your mind it's really comes from you because it's your ego 
and it's really everything starts with you. That other person, you can't control what they're going to say. So you control what you do and what you say, and then you have them express themselves. Like I said, you know, maybe they've had the upper hand throughout history, but at the same time, it doesn't mean they've not suffered throughout history too. Mm -hmm. Like there's suffering throughout history. You know, one army destroyed another army. That's why, you know, you read like Lao Tzu, like two armies on diametrically opposed lines will destroy each other until the last man stands or by attrition that's all war's been war of attrition who has more does one army have more or is it strategy so in my view when i was you know when i'm talking to people i want to find out you know so did you what did you get this from and you know let's say like people are like getting it you know from cracker jack boxes or from facebook memes <laughs> I go, that's not enough information. So my, my, my thing is like, carton. and I can say, well, I got my information from reading these many books and these many articles. doesn't make me any better, but at least it gives me an avenue to like a hundred other thoughts than just my own. Now it I just need to work on, point. I need to figure out at that point, like, okay, how can I expand that out to other voices that I might not agree with and then bring that into the fold, whether I agree with it or not. Because somewhere in there, there's a gem from some other person even though i don't agree with it it's hard for me to you know it's like a rubbing me wrong mm -hmm. and then i gotta then i gotta figure out is it me that's stopping that is there like an ego in place that's stopping me from accepting that message or is it just wrong message but there's that one little grain of truth in there so there's always a grain of truth in something you just need to find it sometimes it's harder and that's great to to do that to challenge yourself to find the nugget of truth and that's use how you that. grow yeah. you know because it allows not easy though <laughs> it's definitely not no easy. it's not easy and i know <laughs> that we're specifically you know th this is such a involved in-depth subject we're not scholars on it we're just talking about it from our experiences our points of view as friends that respect each other and respect the world at large, um, I think we're very accepting people. We have a huge variety of friends uh, from all walks of life, and we've um, experienced a lot of different things in life from, you know, great things to the most um, humbling, just um, oppressive things. And so you take all of those things, all of those experiences, all of that knowledge together, and you try to make sense of the world and you try to, to understand other people. But we definitely are at this moment just distilling the things that are floating up to the surface of this very convoluted, loaded sea of emotion and opinion and differences and... Um, and I think that that's where the struggle is. And so I do find, you know, just in going back to that particular, that particular quote from Martin Luther King that I thought that we would start off with, because I often say that um, it was even before I really finalized this. And, you know, Martin Luther King has definitely been an influence in all of our lives. So maybe I heard the quote at some other point. But it is one of something that's really ingrained in me that spending time hating is a lot of work. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a stone. I, I would say I had a cousin of mine who used to 
carry a lot of burden on her and every pain that she had I, I used to tell her it's like a little stone and I used to tell her you're carrying these little pebbles with you and I know those are parable with Jesus that talks about it and I go and I told her you know these little pebbles sooner or later become rocks and sooner or later those rocks become boulders and then sooner or later you just can't walk because you got so much that you're carrying you got all these little things that you're carrying inside you What's that? and you can't move and she got to a point unfortunately she's no longer with us and but she always carried these stones and you want to just in life you don't want to carry these things with you you want to try to use these stones grind them down examine them and then if they need to be tossed away toss them away find better information like anything in life you want to try to find things that are better for you better information um, you know somebody told me that you know um, I told them that truth is not stagnant it's it's always changing it's always evolving it's a lie that it's stays dynamic. stagnant yeah so yes yes it is the lies stay stagnant the truth evolves you know that's why they you know they often say hindsight is 2020 it really isn't that whatever it is that you're looking at back, that point in time maybe yes at that point in time but you're looking back on it and you are applying new experience, new information, new data from that time period to something that is, you know, stuck in, you know, 20 years ago. So, yeah, it is an evolutionary process. And I think, you know, speaking on that, we generally feel as a kind of, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, a societal thing, or just a human thing, but we want to judge and be done with it so we want to be able to say i hate that person or i hate that whatever it is and move on and always hate it um so you know there's this big pressure to not change your mind and i think with a lot of people as we mature as we get older as we understand the world as we understand these things we start realizing it's completely okay to change your mind in fact you should probably change your mind. You should examine that moment of I love XYZ or I hate XYZ because that might be true in the now, but tomorrow that might change. You want to gain as much information from something or someone as you can in order to continue to assess whether your perception of somebody is as you thought. And I think that with being able to spread love out into the world a little bit further, um, education is key and examining our hard and true facts, because like you said, hard and true facts never really are, right? They, no, they, they expand. It changes out. and But the biggest part of anything in life, I think, for me, is you have to put the stake down and then give it. A measure so everything has to have measure and it's weird throughout the Bible there's always things about building like Jesus was a carpenter and then you're reading in the Bible like everything's being built things are building so what I got from different books and different things were um, so let's take the stake as an example so purposely every year and I don't really say like it's a thing I do January 1st 
sometimes it's every year, sometimes it, it's, it just evolves. So you have to give yourself a measure. So I, I'll put a stake down here today. It's like I have to do something that is beneficial not only to myself to grow as a better person, but everybody around me. So those are really hard if it's if you think about it, oh my god that's almost impossible but really if you think about it try to make it personal so then that happened to me one year where some lady broke down in the middle of the road and nobody was helping her so i pulled over and i helped her get her car off the road so that small act made me feel better i'm like wow i helped her off the road and she was so thankful and she was safe and it's a small act like that that can reverberate because then somebody who sees me do that maybe they'll be impelled to do that also mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, that well, little act could, will do it and then another do. one you know I, I wrote about it like oh man it must have been like 25 years ago now it's on the internet and it's been changing different reiterations but something as simple as putting away the grocery cart where it goes now you may think, well, you know, I'm just going to leave it here and they're going to pick it up no matter what, right? You drop off your, put your groceries in your car and you just leave it on the grass right. and take off. The worker will come by and pick it up. That's true. It will. But if I just take two minutes or a minute or 30 seconds and put it where it's supposed to be, maybe that thing doesn't fly out somewhere and hit a car, somebody else's car. You can see the reverberations, mm-hmm. how that won the lat. Right. And what I really like about what you said, I remember you talk, I know we've talked about this several times. Uh, Yeah. You know, whenever I put a shopping cart back, I think this is what Mike would have done. I need one of those bracelets, you know, those, (laughs) what would Jesus do? It would be like, what would Mike do? Um, (laughs) I always think about that when I put the shopping cart back. But the one thing that I really like about your method is that it's central to you with the caveat that it's going to expand and help other people because I think there's two things at work here that keep people from loving acts. That I consider, you know, anything that helps anybody else is considered a loving sure. act. Um, and one of the things is that people feel like if they're going to participate in an act that benefits the greater good of others, that utilitarian argument, right? Whatever you do needs to, you know, benefit the greatest amount of people um, is that argument. They feel like it needs to be selfless or it doesn't count. Um, I don't know that there is such a thing as a selfless act ever because it's being expanded, it's, it's being produced from the self. That is the core. We are responsible for our actions. And because our actions spring forth from us, they therefore cannot be selfless. And I remember that I was taking a philosophy class and we were extrapolating that to the nth degree, um, including talking about whether Mother Teresa's actions who widely is regarded as one of the most selfless beings on this planet were her actions her promise to poverty in the name of helping humanity rise out of those ashes truly selfless or was she doing it because she knew when she died 
she would go to heaven? Was she trying to guarantee her entry into heaven? And I know that sounds, you know, and I am not judging Mother Teresa. I'm just saying this was the conversation that that we were having in philosophy class. I don't care if that's what she was doing. She helped a lot of people, you know, and, and God, I hope she's in heaven. But I think that people want to believe that a good action can only be deemed a good action if it is selfless. And I think those conversations help you realize that because they are springing forth from the self, they can never be truly selfless. But I think that the second thing that I love about making your actions based on benefiting you first is the constant argument that, well, what's in it for me? Um, and I know that that is not, you know, it's it's not an honest argument. It's usually a shutdown argument. Well, if there's nothing in it for me, I'm not going to do anything. No. Um, and that does stop, you know, and I think that's something that we need to examine that those are two things that stop us. Something either has to be truly selfless or we're not going to participate in it or it has to benefit us or we're not going to participate in it. And it doesn't have to benefit us to... An, an incredible degree, um, you're never going to get truly selfless. And any incremental benefit is still a benefit. And if you can make sure that you are benefiting and somehow just feeling good for, you know, the kindly act, or just simply, if you cannot find the capacity within yourself to love somebody, just simply turning around and walking away. Yeah. And Selfless, and those are really tough things to unpack. So most of my things come from really one. I try to simplify my method. It's do I struggle with it or I don't struggle with it? Because that's to struggle is to put that cart back. To not struggle is to be leaving it there where I found it. So that's when you have to double down (laughs) into that. And loving is hard. Loving is extremely difficult. As much as we might think, oh, we can love everything. No, there is still a struggle to love because there's sometimes we love the wrong person. And that's where you have to step back from love. And you have to struggle is my marker. So my stake is struggle. So the other day I was reading somebody I follow, but I'm not going to mention his name right now. Um, He was saying... I really have a hard time with with his teaching. I have a really hard time with his book, especially because he's not giving me the simple things. Isn't a master supposed to give you the simple things in life and like kind of lay it out? And all he's doing is making it really difficult for me. And I, I, I didn't, I mean, I was reading the answers and it's pretty much exactly, you know, in line. It's like, well, the struggle is, is the, the answer, teaching. Right. So in... In life, you're going to have struggle. And that's how I'm, you know, because certain things are subjective, you know, selfless. I don't know what selfless is. In the case of Mother Teresa, people have said, well, did she do good? Because she didn't empower people. All she did was give them the, you know, this and that. And, you know, reading her autobiography, she struggled with herself because she had the light of God in the beginning and it all went away. And then her Mm -hmm. whole life was about trying to attain back that 
liked it. She went and had it as a young kid, it and it went away. To so the struggle, the journey, right? yeah, the struggle with her was trying to go back to that light. Maybe that was her blinding force. I don't know. I don't really know much about her. I mean, obviously, I don't know anything about Mother Teresa as far as what she was struggling with. But maybe the struggle is what we have to have in us. I mean, we have it in all our life. That's how evolution, you know, it's a struggle between two forces. And then you have that neutralizing force come in to either go up or down. Everybody wants it to be positive or, you know, but really positive and negative. Positive and easy. But I think, yeah, that's why we have that that dichotomy, right? That that double duality where um, you've got the light and the dark, you've got the struggle and the joy. And, you know, without without the bitterness, without the um, those tough times, you wouldn't have a barometer unfortunately i mean it's just the nature of things you wouldn't have the barometer to understand exquisite joy so it's this duality and of course you don't want to keep oscillating between those two things you want to keep it as balanced exactly so you have the, the positive and negative and struggle is the neutralizing force and that's why i chose struggle over everything because that's gonna let me know like you have to like what you don't like you know like somebody that's Mm -hmm. abhorrent to me let's say like white supremacist i hate that person i really want to hate that person but you know martin luther king is telling you to love him how can i love him maybe that person's fractured in some way and maybe that's what he needs to get him over to the other side to move him to another Incrementally place closer and it just takes time and most people don't want to waste that time they don't you know they think it's a waste it's not going to do anything and it's not a waste that's right it's you not. know um i feel like challenge is a gift to all of us yeah. and i know a lot of people will disagree with that but you know you can, you've heard the saying kill them with kindness you can give and give and give to somebody and never teach them how to survive so that was one of the leading tenets of being a parent for me I just felt like I wanted to raise my kids to be independent and know that they were loved for their individuality at the same time you know I mean another you know going into another form of love sure And, and and it is a balance because I know that there were times where you know, maybe they were out on a soccer field and they didn't, or in their early days, you know, as toddlers or not toddlers, but, you know, five, six years old, whatever, didn't want to be out there. And I remember turning around, just walking away when they started to look for me and it was like, figure it <laughs> out. And that's really hard as a parent, but yeah. it is one of the most loving things that you could do. So love has many uh, there's a uh, lot there's definitely a lot to unpack with love because there's many layers to it it's not one thing or like it's truth it's multiple things you have to be loving you have to be truthful and you have to be judgmental of the way that you're going to met it out because you want to make sure that that love is going to benefit the other person as well and that you're not being punitive with kids, you know, I'm speaking specifically with yeah. parenting, there's a big difference between discipline and punishment. And uh, discipline 
is going to teach somebody punishment is just an adult having a freaking tantrum fit and pretending that they're not. Um, I will go on that subject at some other time, but um, I will mention my kids were never spanked. And like I said, I've got a sergeant who's very successful and I have a daughter who is in college and working and very successful um, by really anybody's standards. Um, Not that I'm like the best parent on the planet. I'm sure that the two of them sit around going, man, do you remember when mom used to do whatever it was? I swear they have this story. Actually, I have no recollection of this, but the last time Cameron was out, they were talking about this um, tofu trip that I was on. You know, you remember when mom was making tofu like every single day and it was like the most disgusting thing ever. And she was just kept putting tofu out on the table. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, that's what you were doing for a long time. And you just kept, you know, making it this way. And we would told you that we didn't like it and you would make it this other way. And I'm like, I literally have no recollection of this. I don't even remember when's the last time that I made tofu. Um, I do like tofu, but, and, and Sophie eats it all the time now, yeah. you know, but I, I know that they probably sit around, you know, I hate it when mom did whatever it was. You're never going to be a perfect parent, but I think that in approaching the world in a loving way, you, you have to love the world. You have to love the people of the world. And, um, and I think I've, I've mentioned this so many times that, it comes from understanding others. When you understand others, it allows for temperance. Temperance allows for learning and expansion. That allows you to find meaning in the world, which then allows you to find purpose. And from purpose is where you gain contentment. That's where you find happiness. There's so much that just expanding your love beyond that scope of your immediate circle yeah will add to your life it's it's the layers you know it's those ripple effects yeah the the reverberations that you were talking about put put the stake out farther as much as you can within your yard yeah yeah and and a lot of times those reverberations go out and then they return you know they they do consistently return to you or yeah just you know as long as you feel good about it as 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 best you can and and other people benefit from it and sometimes it doesn't come back and it doesn't have to come back right it doesn't sometimes you don't feel it because most of the time you're just putting it out there and it's not like that lady's contacting me every week and saying thank you for moving my car and i don't expect her to you know but but. she's probably still thinking about it you know i remember one time i came out of the grocery store and this storm just hit and Cameron was probably about four months old and I had a cart full of groceries and I've got the umbrella up and I'm trying to figure out, do I put the groceries in? Do I put the baby in? You know, what do I do first? Because no matter what, something's gonna get just totally drowned in this rain. And this UPS driver came running over and he's like yelling at me, put the baby in the car, pop the trunk. And he grabbed my groceries and just threw them in there. No umbrella went back to his UPS truck, took off. And um, to this day, you know, every once in a while, I'll think about it. It's like, you know, that was 25 years ago. And it's still, those are the kind actions that, that continue to mold your perspective and, you know, your love of other human beings, but also um, create like this lasting happiness for you. Yeah. And before we, get off here you know 
couple things that would probably help is forgive more and say you love more. So, and most of those are the two things that we don't do enough of. We don't forgive people enough and we don't tell people that we love them enough. Mm-hmm. And those are struggles for us to do. Huge struggles, holding so. on to that anger. And anger, well, we can let you know, it go. Yeah, because anger does come from your heart. You know, mm-hmm. it's part of your loving part. It's a layer in there, but you have to struggle against that. You know, it's normal to do that. So you want to, you know, make sure that happens. Absolutely. That was a lot. We kind of went all over the place. I think that we stuck mostly with that subject of um, loving more because hate is too much of a burden. I hope this is still recording us. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, And so I'm like so excited that we actually got to sit down and have this conversation. Super excited that we've been friends for so long. I love you, friend. I love you, too. Oh, wow. I got weirdly emotional and teary-eyed over that UPS story. It was a little awkward and confusing, um, but just giving more credence to the saying that actions speak louder than words. And another reason why you should always choose kindness first, because your actions will carry on through a person's lifetime. So... As the great Dr. Martin Luther King said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. I hope that we honor Dr. Martin Luther King in this episode. And I want to give a huge thanks to Mike for joining me, always lending an ear, a thought, an insight, making me laugh, sticking around after all of these years and just being an awesome friend. I hope that we inspired you to spread more love into this world, which is what it really needs. It reminds me of this meme that's going around and it says, normalize telling your friends you love them. Tell them a lot. Make it weird. So be sure to let people know that you love them. I do love you guys. I love your questions. I love your suggestions. I love that you're listening. It means the world to me. So keep the questions and suggestions coming and be sure to follow me on social media and the dot com where I post updates, upcoming topics, links and so much more. I've got many more in the company of friends talks coming up that I'm super excited about and really looking forward to. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the dot com at the Queen Trail Podcast, which is T H E Q U A I N T R E L E Podcast. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And until next time, I am still Annan, the Queen Trail, and I wish you passion, grace, elegance, and beauty.